Good morning. morning. Happy Easter. Easter. It is Resurrection Day, baby. Woo! Yes, that's right. I'm excited. If this is your first time here, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor, and I've got news for you. Uh, Every week I try to wear a jacket of some kind on this stage, and the truth is it gets too hot and I have to take it off. So, you know what? Go ahead and brace yourself. Andy, I've got my little sweat cloth, right? It's, it is, it's kind of the Super Bowl of Christianity, okay? So we're going to be getting after it today, which means Pastor Andy might get a little toasty on this stage. I'm going to bring it. That's right. You guys look so nice. I see the pastels. I see the ties. Looking good today, church fam. Before we get into the sermon, I have some great news and it's a big announcement. Uh, if you look around this room, we've been in this, we've been in this historic church now for, uh, over a year now. We've been renting it. It's been our venue space. One of the few places that would rent to a young church post pandemic. Uh, and even at the back end of the pandemic, very few places would open their doors if you didn't know that. And so we were, we've been renting here. And as you can see, we, 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 we're running a bit out of room. And if you have children, uh, then you really know that our amazing kids ministry, High Point Kids in the back, it's just running out of space, right? It's wall to wall and it's loud. And you know what? As a historic church, guess what nobody was really thinking about 120 years ago? The p- bathroom locations, right? I mean, you got to get up. You got to walk through this door right here. Now that I've just mentioned that, everyone's, you know, going to be paranoid about having to get up during service today. Well, I have great news for you. We are officially moving as a church, and we are excited about it. Now, before you're like, did we buy a place? Are we building a place? No and no. (laughs) Right? We have been invited back, literally called by the principal at Kansas Elementary, invited to return, right? And they kind of rolled out all the, the, the red carpet for us to return for kids space and and worship space and we're really excited about it. we won't have to have a trailer anymore you can use the restroom uh with a little more privacy uh the kids will have multiple rooms etc 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 and one of the biggest things church that that they're asking us to run with is a mentorship program for some of the kids that go to their school and while you may not think about it when you drive around kennesaw You don't think about kids living out of cars, but there are kids living out of vehicles that go to that school that need a consistent adult in their life to just read a book, to have lunch. And the principal asks if we, as a church, would be willing to own that. And you know what? If I have to go up there by myself, we're going to own that. We're going to do something about it. Amen? So in July, we'll we'll get more details out for you. For some of you, this is like returning home. You've been to the, you've been to the school before. Some of you went to the school as a kid, right? I've heard some of you are like, I went to that school many moons ago, right? Well, we're going to return. We're going to be there as a church and we're thrilled about it. You guys with me? It's going to be a great day. Oh yes. Put your hands together. Let's be excited. And with that, church, turn to the book of Mark. Turn in your Bible if you have the YouVersion app. You can turn there in your phone, your, your paper Bible if you would like. Go ahead. The, book, the Gospel of Mark 
It is the earliest gospel that was written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the one that was written first is this one, the gospel of Mark. And here we are at the end in Mark chapter 16. This is what Mark writes regarding the resurrection. Jesus has been nailed to a cross. Jesus has been buried in a tomb. And Sunday has, in theory, arrived, right? It's the big moment. Verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, anoint Jesus' body. And very early on that first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? If you know anything about this stone, it would have been enormous. It would have required multiple men to, to move this thing. It would have also had a Roman seal upon it. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, if you are, if you've got an actual paper Bible in front of you right now, or even on your phone, you probably have a little, there's a little message underneath this verse in italics that says that what you're about to read wasn't in the original text. In other words, the Gospel of Mark, the earliest manuscripts that we have found, the Gospel of Mark ends right here. There's nothing written afterwards. Now, that doesn't mean that what you read in your Bibles right now is wrong or unfactual. We believe that it is. Theologians believe that it is, etc., etc., etc. It's trustworthy. We believe these events happen. But it was added after the original letter that Mark wrote that he wrote. And so you've got the Gospel of Mark, and it ends right here. This is his letter to encourage everybody. Jesus has risen from the grave, and he ends it like this. They went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end. That's it. That is literally the very first gospel account that's written. That's the letter that would have begun getting passed around the churches. And if you and I were watching a movie, for instance, and that movie ended like that, you'd be like, what? What? No. This is the cliffhanger that you don't want. There's not resolution here. I don't have this nice little fairy tale ending in this moment. And that is exactly how Mark intended it for you and I as the, as the letter is being read to the church, as you and I are, are able to read it and look at it. It's designed to bother you. It's designed to leave you on the edge of your seat. It's designed to leave you with 
questions that need resolution. In other words, it's designed to kind of shock you a little bit and make you wrestle with what you are going to do with the resurrection. What are you going to do with it? Jesus rose from the grave. There's an angel in the tomb. The stone has been rolled away. Can you believe it? This is shocking news. It's shocking. It's stunning. Oh, by the way, Mary, Salome, and the other Mary. P.S. Jesus isn't here. He's risen. Now go tell some folks. Holy cow. What am I going to do? And the initial response was astonishment and fear. That's your first resurrection moment. It's stunned, shocked. I don't even know what to do. We love games at my house. We're a big game-playing family. We like card games, like board games, like video games, pretty much all the above. You know what game I do not like? I mean, there's the kind of, there are the games that have like 47,000 rules and exceptions. You know, like they have, you go to Target and the game aisle, and they have these card games. And it's like, you know, you're a wizard and you can use this spell, but on this, if this person uses this potion against you, then your spell doesn't work. It actually backfires and you lose 74,000 points unless you have this. And then all these exceptions and things, uh, done. Andy is out of the game already. It's just too complicated. I don't roll that way. There's another kind of game, though, that I also don't like. And I brought it with me today. You know what game that is? That would be the game Operation. Now, we brought a different version of Operation today. It is Krogu. Can I actually have some assistance? This is going to tip forward. Oh, there it is. There it is. Here's the thing about Operation. Operation, you, you have these little tweezers. If I can get it out. I might, you need some, there it is. Thank you. Thank you, assistant. You're fantastic. You have these tweezers. And you're designed, like, you have an operation that's required. And in this case, Baby Grogu from the Star Wars, I don't know who bought this, but praise God, okay? <laughs> and you take these tweezers and you get inside of this thing and you have to extract it. And you have to do your best to not touch the in. oh, the inside. You get, oh, you've got to have unshaky hands. Oh, I am using my left hand. I'm having to reach across, which makes it increasingly difficult. And this person is dead, obviously, already. Okay? Uh, I'm not even going to continue. Here's the deal. I hate the game operation. Like, you know what I can do to avoid being shocked? Not play the game. Okay? Just avoid being shocked altogether. Thank you. We can go ahead and put it down. Um... Here's the thing about Operation, whether it's the original, 
whether it's baby Yoda, right, that, that you're trying to pull these things out of, the game is designed to shock you if you're not getting it right. Uh, or in other words, as you go further into this thing, the reality is you're going to get shocked. It's hard, you are hard pressed to play the game operation. At least I am at 42, right? And, and just, oh, there it is. And you pull that thing out. And we look at these moments, understandably, with a game like this, or at least I do, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to play that game. I don't want to be shocked. I don't like the feeling of being shocked anymore at this stage of my life. You guys with me this morning? You understand where I'm getting ready to go this morning? See, the resurrection, the truth of it, it is a shocking reality. And for many of us that have grown up, especially in the South, especially here in Western Christianity, it's really easy for the gospel to become something that we grow apathetic about. In fact, we don't want it to shock us anymore. We would rather just play it safe. We'd rather be comfortable. We'd rather have our routine. We would rather just, I grew up, I grew up Catholic, so I'm just Catholic. So, you know, I'm kind of impervious to all the things of the gospel because my shield is how I grew up and I just identify this way. Well, I don't really need to do that experience that follow Jesus this way. I'm Catholic or I'm Methodist or I'm Lutheran or I'm Pentecostal or that's really not for me. And we, we, we do everything we can to avoid the shock of the gospel to our hearts. And I have what is actually great news for you today. And that is that the good news is good. Oh my gosh, Jesus died on a cross for your sins and my sins, and he rose again on the third day. But the good news isn't just good. It's also shocking. It's shockingly good news. Can we all say amen to that this morning? The gospel is good, but it's not just good. The gospel is also shocking, but thankfully it's not just shocking. It's not just holy cow news. It's shockingly good news. But we as a church and as a body of people, whether you are 14, whether you're 44, or whether you're 94, we have to recover the shocking nature of the gospel. This is wild stuff. This is wild, wild west material here. This is holy smokes. Are you kidding me? Jesus did that? He rose from the grave? We watched the movie Risen last last night with with our kids. Now granted, my youngest fell asleep. (laughs) But it's fantastic. It is an amazing film depicting the events following the resurrection. And I'm telling you right now, when you see it, and imagine what it could have been like, you realize how crazy this is. In a good way, praise God for the shockingly good news of the gospel. To shock is to experience a sudden or violent, that's right, violent disturbance of the mind, emotions, or sensibilities. 
to shock you is to experience something sudden. As in like the message of the gospel, it should be, it should be shocking enough that it disturbs you. That it disrupts your life. The gospel isn't bonus. It's not the, it's not the deleted scene in a movie. It's not the extra scene like, oh great, you know, the resurrection, woo, Easter, this is a good time. No, no, no. This is the Super Bowl. This is the main event. This is what we are living for, the resurrection moment of Jesus. And it is designed to disrupt you, to disturb you, to shock you. There's a famous preacher. Some of you may know him. His name is John Wesley. Considered one of the greatest preachers the world has ever known. BBC ranked John Wesley, who was a Brit, as one of the the top 50 most influential and significant people in the history of the world. John Wesley. You're like, I don't even know who that is. I'm about to tell you. He's a missionary. He's a missionary in the late to mid-1700s. And he's on a boat to America, right? And he's actually sailing where? To the colony of? Georgia. He's heading here, right? And he's on a boat. And he's a missionary. There's other Englishmen and women and other families. His brother Charles is with him. And there are these other missionaries that are with him that are from, they're, they're from what we now know as the Czech Republic. It's a body of missionaries called the Moravians. And John Wesley is on this boat and a storm hits the boat. And it's the kind of storm where they don't think, they don't know if they're going to make it. And John Wesley is is very noted for his journaling. So you can read detailed accounts from John Wesley for so much of his life. He was a crazy journaler. And so I, I brought a little bit of something with you or with me today just so that you could read it because John Wesley... He describes this moment where the storm hits and the little mast of the boat breaks. And the Moravians, he says, are having a worship service. In the middle of the storm, he can hear them singing amidst the screaming of the English missionaries and their families. And he writes this account He says, on January 25th, in the midst of the psalm where their service began, the sea broke over the boat and it split the main sail in pieces, covered the ship and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. I mean, come on. That's some good description. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Moravians calmly sung on, I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. And I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, nope. Our women and children are not afraid to die. The storm was boisterous, but the Moravians kept praising God. And finally, the storm subsided. John Wesley writes about these Moravian missionaries. 
And it's in this moment, he documents it, he writes about it, and it bothers him for years to come. Here he is as a missionary himself. He's an English missionary heading to Georgia, where we live, to try to do mission work. And here he is encountering other missionaries doing mission work. And what he writes later is that he says to himself, I couldn't deny that these people had something in their faith that I did not have. Something had traversed their minds and had penetrated their hearts. And he was shocked by it. He was stunned by it. See, the gospel, as as Gerald mentioned a minute ago, in the transition after worship, when you get it, it shocks you. It stuns you. It transforms you. It disturbs you. It disrupts you. It bothers you. It does something inside of you, and it doesn't just stay intellectual facts in your mind. See, many of us know the details of the gospel. We get it, and we believe in them, that Jesus died on a cross, that he rose again on the third day, that he defeated sin. That sounds great. He died for my sin, and then he ascended back to heaven, and that's the gospel. And we know it, and we can share it, and we can tell it. But that doesn't mean that the the gospel... The resurrection of Jesus has moved beyond your mind and really into your heart. And when John Wesley got on that boat, he encountered some people whose lives had been so radically transformed that they weren't even afraid to die in the middle of a storm that was threatening their lives. These very same missionaries would would then go on Literally, this is how desperate they are for the world to hear who Jesus is. There were slaves on the island of St. Thomas who didn't, who weren't able to hear the gospel. And the only way these missionaries could determine that they could get the gospel to this island was to sell themselves into slavery. That's how desperate they were for people to hear about Jesus. Who lives like that? Who does that? You can see why John Wesley was so bothered by it. Because he looked and said, I I don't have that. And he returns to England and after several years, literally, of of pursuing and and asking, he, he, he comes upon this Moravian group again in England and he goes to the church service. And he writes that on May 24th, 1738, at roughly 8.45 p.m., he's detailed, and I quote, I put my faith in Christ alone for salvation. I felt an assurance that was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley describes this moment, having already been a missionary for years, yet he describes this, his salvation transformative moment. And yet he'd been in church, 
He'd been around church. He'd been around the Bible. He knew all the facts. And yet it hadn't moved from his head to his heart. The resurrection power of Jesus, it is shocking. And when it gets inside of you, it disrupts you. It disorients you at times. John Wesley went on here in the United States of America. He rode 250,000 miles by horseback, preaching the gospel, gave away 30,000 pounds and preached more than 40,000 sermons. He opened chapels, commissioned preachers, administered aid charities, administered to the sick. He superintended orphanages and it is said that he brought nearly 135,000 people to faith here in the United States and trained 541 preachers. See, when the resurrection gets inside of you, it's like a wrecking ball. It's shocking. God doesn't leave you where you are. He really changes you. See, Paul writes... In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that me? No. All right. I had my phone going up here. I thought that was my alarm. No worries. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, the apostle, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, by the way. That's another name for Peter. And then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, to Paul, as to one who was abnormally born. That word abnormally born is the description of an aborted child. It's the same word for abortion. And no, I'm not getting into political conversations about abortion in this moment. I want you to understand how Paul is describing himself. Literally, he's, he is describing himself like a, like, a, like, a, like a dead person, a dead child. That Jesus came and pursued him to bring him back to life. And so when we talk about the gospel and we talk about the shocking truth of it, the shocking reality of it, the shocking more than just facts and more than details about it, some of you need to have a shocking move of God from your head all the way to your heart. It's only about 12 inches. But the gospel's got to move from you just knowing the events to you being changed. Are you actually changed? Has the gospel changed you? Has what Jesus done for you, the resurrection account of Jesus, has it gotten on the inside of you? Has it? Has it gotten a hold of you? Paul writes, and I love it. He starts off in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, this is what Jesus has done. My paraphrase. He died for our sins. Amen. In fact, I'm going to say that again, and your response is to say, amen. Jesus died for your sins. Right? 
Jesus died for your sins. Amen. Like, yes, Jesus died for my sins, for your sins. As in, there is nothing separating you from God anymore. There's no sin. There's, there's nothing, but you've got to accept it. You've got to do something about it. It's one thing to say that this is true. It's another to say it's true for me. It's like a Christmas present that you just have under the Christmas tree. And you know what? If it just stays there, it's still a gift. It still looks nice. The wrapping paper looks excellent. But if you don't actually take it and open it, it's just a gift that is sitting unused, unclaimed, unreceived. And for many of us, the resurrection power of Jesus, it's like a gift that we know about, we see it, we acknowledge it, the wrapping paper looks great, but we don't ever take the time to pull it out from under the tree and do something with it. It is the resurrection power of Jesus. There is nothing standing between you and God Almighty at all. You can have unencumbered, great relationship with the God of heaven and earth because your sin is no longer standing in the way. Jesus took it. He took it on his shoulders when he went to the cross. And when his wrists were nailed and his feet were nailed, your sin was nailed right along with it. And that is resurrection power, baby. That's what Jesus Jesus has defeated sin. But you know what else Jesus did? Jesus defeated death. Like he took your sin. He nailed it to the cross. He's buried in a tomb. And then people go to, to anoint his body with, 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 with different scents and you know different things to make it smell nice and honor and bless him. And they go there and he's not there. Not only did Jesus defeat sin, but Jesus literally defeated death. And when that gets on the inside of you, it's shocking how it transforms you and changes you. And guess what, church? When you know that you know that you know that this is not the end, like the, this isn't it. It changes how you live. You don't have to be in fear. You can live courageously for God. You can share your faith. You can respond to what God is saying as crazy as it may sound. You can obey him. You can honor him. You have absolutely nothing to fear. Because Jesus defeated sin and Jesus also defeated death. Now, I've got kids. I've got four of them. And we're at that stage many times where one of those kids wants to get the final word in. There's always something to be said. Clean that up. Okay, but, no, do it. That's in like right now. Go, do it. There, there's a, there's a word, there's their words that everyone wants to try to get the final say in to mom or the final say in to dad. And sometimes you have to just say, hey, I said it. Do it. Love you. 
get it done. Or whatever it might be. When Jesus died and he's put in the tomb, you know who thinks they have the final say? The devil does. He thinks he's got the final word in this moment. He thinks he's got this thing tied up in the bag. You know, it's the football game where there's three seconds left on the clock. There's no possible way they're going to come back. There's no way they can, you know, do an onside kick and throw a hail. It's not going to happen. There's no shot. There's no chance. And then who comes to the table? Tom Brady, right? One more time. And you're like, give me a break, right? We know how it works. This is the writings on the wall, right? And when Jesus stepped out of the grave, he reminds all of us he defeats sin, he defeats death, and he reminds all of us who is the one who actually has the final word, the final say. It's Jesus. Jesus has the final word over everything in your life. Your kids, he has the final say. Your marriage, Jesus has the final say. That thing doesn't have to be dead. That thing could still come back to life. Your addiction, your problem, your jacked up this, that broke down relationship, that sin problem that you just can't seem to get past or get through. Who has the final say? Is it, is it you? Is it, is it the enemy? Is it Satan? No, it isn't. It's Jesus. He has the final say. He's the one with all the power. He's the one who showed us stepping out of the grave who has the power to bring that which is dead back to life. Jesus does. That's right. That's right. I close with this. So my favorite things about the resurrection. Jesus did defeat sin and Jesus did defeat death. That is the gospel. But one of the other things, church, that I love that the gospels are very clear to point out. Paul's writing this. You can read about it in the, in the resurrection account of Mark. He says the same thing. The angel literally says, hey, go, go tell the twelve and also go tell Peter. And when Paul writes about the account of Jesus after the resurrection, he says that that Jesus showed up to the twelve and he showed up to who? Showed up to Peter. Says he also showed up individually to James. We know also from the gospel account that he showed up and had a special moment with Thomas. The doubting Thomas, the one who, who had such a difficult time believing. See, Jesus defeated sin and Jesus defeated, he, he defeated death, but he did something else here. He took something also from you and me that you and I don't have to carry. And when Jesus has an individual moment with Peter, the reason he does that is because Peter's the one who's denied him three times. The one who talked all the big talk. The one who knew all the right things. Who knew all the right things to say and yet blew it. And with all the things that Jesus has to do, he's the son of God. He's got a lot of things on his plate. He just rose out of the grave. He's got, he's got business to take care of. You know what he does? He goes and he finds Peter. And he restores him. 
You know who else he goes to see? Individually. James. Who's James? It's his brother. It's his younger brother. Of all the things that Jesus has to do after the resurrection, he goes to find Peter. And he goes to find his little brother. His little brother who's also abandoned him. His little brother who's probably found Jesus to be the embarrassment of the family at this point. The name of our house and the name of our family is ruined. I I have to live in disgrace forever at this point. And Jesus goes and he finds James. We don't even know what Jesus says to James. But we know one thing, that in just a moment, Peter and James would go on to become the pillars of the early church. How does something like that happen? How do two men who are cowering in fear become so strong? Because the shocking reality of the gospel that Jesus defeated death, that Jesus defeated sin, and Jesus defeats your shame. He takes it all and it's nailed to the cross. And when he stepped out of the grave, all that junk and all that jank stayed behind. That's where it stayed. That's where Jesus shut that thing and sent that straight back to the pit of hell. Death, sin, and shame defeated on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's the gospel. And it's got to be something, church, that's more than just you thinking about it. More than just a couple facts that you can recite. Is it inside you? Is it disrupting you? Has it changed how you think about other people? Has it moved you to pray for somebody? To lay your life down for somebody? When's the last time you felt convicted by the Holy Spirit? Is is God at work inside of you? Is Is the gospel shocking you anywhere? Is it real to you? Because if it's not today, is your day. You need a John Wesley moment. A Peter and James moment. Where you're changed. In just a moment, we're going to take communion together. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done together. But before we do, I want to give you a moment, just like John Wesley had 200 years ago, for you to respond to the gospel. Maybe you know it here, but you need to know it here. And let it shock you and change you. And let the truth of what Jesus has done transform you. Father, I thank you in this moment right now. I thank you for the truth of the gospel. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you defeated death. I thank you that you defeated sin. And I thank you that you defeated our shame. God, we have nothing to to be ashamed of. You took it. Lord, the sting of our sin, the sting uh, of not living for you, the sting of our rebellion before you, Lord, you have taken it. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Jesus, I thank you that you have the victory. And you give it to us, Lord. 
that we might know you, that we might have eternal life, that we might walk in freedom before you. God, whether we grew up atheist, whether we grew up with no church, whether we grew up Catholic or Methodist, whether we grew up Anglican, whether we grew up Christian or Church of Christ, I, Lord, it doesn't matter. Jesus, we are after you. We want to know you today, Lord. If you're sitting here today and you need to put your faith in Jesus in a way that's more than just you knowing the things about the gospel and knowing about the resurrection, but you need to know the power of the resurrection in your heart. If that's you, I'm asking for you, raise your hand right now and pray with me. And yes, I'm asking you to, to be bold. Do something about it. Raise your hand and let's pray. Pray this out loud. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you are king. And I thank you that you are my king. And I'm asking for the truth and power of the resurrection to move beyond things that I know and things for me to experience in my heart. Lord, let me know you in a transformative way. Change me, Lord. Change me. Amen.